The National Broadcasting Company presents Radio City Playhouse, Attraction 50. Ladies and gentlemen, here is your director, Harry W. Junkin. Thank you, Fred. And good evening, ladies and gentlemen. From our mail on last week's show, Tension in 643, here are two letters. A lady from Missouri writes, quote, I'm thoroughly sick of murder, insanity, and tragedy. Tension in 643 was a horrible show, unquote. The other letter from a lady in Chicago read in part, quote, Tension in 643 held my husband and me absolutely spellbound right to the very end. Keep up the good work, unquote. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this only goes to prove that nobody can please all of the people all of the time. However, to those of you who have written so many letters about Radio City Playhouse and the reprise series on 8 by Request, our sincere thanks for your interest and friendliness. And now for tonight's show... David Gothard as Bradley Lane and Kathleen Cordell as Jane, his wife, uh-uh. in... Wait a minute. Why don't you mention my name? In uh, Level Crossing, Attraction 50. All right. I can wait. On Radio City Playhouse. idea. I stood there at the deserted level crossing and suddenly I knew how I could kill John Dunn. The crossing is dangerous. There's a sharp curve, belts of fir trees to the right and the left screen the trains. Suddenly they burst out of nowhere and thunder across the six foot wide dirt path. It isn't really a crossing at all. There are never any cars and very few people. It's just a path in the Connecticut woods that crosses a railway track 300 yards from our house. You could be on the south side, think you had plenty of time to walk across to the north side, and be fooled. The whole thing would look like an accident. Now I knew how to kill him. I just had to fill in the details. Why did I want to kill him? Well, that goes back a long time, more than a year. I think the idea of killing John Dunn occurred to me at breakfast a year ago. Jane and I were finishing our coffee. And suddenly Jane said something that made me realize she was suspicious. More coffee, Brad? Uh, No, thanks. Brad, would you put down the paper for a moment? Sorry, darling. Something on your mind? Yes, I'd like to ask you a question. Well, don't look so solemn, honey. What is it? I don't quite know how to say it. My, but we're being ominous this morning. I've been going to ask you for a couple of weeks, but I haven't had the nerve. Well, what on earth are you talking about? Well, I... What became of the $2,500 commission you got for the Rebecca contract? What do you mean? I just wonder what became of the money. One of us must have spent it. I did. For good heavens, Jane, you don't have to look so accusing about it. Is that the way I look? 
I didn't mean to. It's just that when we were first married, we never had any secrets at all. We'd bring home your salary, and we'd put the actual cash in little budget envelopes. So much for rent, so much for clothes, so much for entertainment. Now I don't seem to have any idea of where it goes. Every so often, they're fairly large sums, but, well, they just seem to disappear. Well, are you going to tell me? Or not? Jane, I didn't want to mention it because I, I thought it might annoy you. To be perfectly frank, I, I'm afraid I've been a little foolish. I bought some mining stock, a mine in Canada. Jerry Walton suggested I take a bit of a flurry with him. Purely speculation, but quite possibly a good thing. A friend of his really stuck it rich up there, and we thought that we might as well get on the wagon, too, just in case. What's the matter? Nothing. Go on. Well, to make a long story short, it turned out to be a dud. The vein was only surface, and the property was so isolated that the shipping problem was more than we could lick, so we... So we lost $2,500. Yes, dear, I'm afraid we did. On a mine that Jerry Walton recommended. Well, he didn't exactly recommend it. But it was it. his idea. Yes. Yes, it was. Oh, look, honey, I, I'm going to be late for the office. I'd better run. That's all there is to it, darling. Just tough luck. Now, don't fret about it. So you lose $2,500. That's life. Yes. Yes, I guess it is. Mr. Jerry Walton, please. Hello, Jerry. This is Bradley Lane. I'm fine. How are you? Good. Uh, look, Jerry, I have a favor to ask. I have done things for you in the past, and I'd, uh, I'd appreciate it if you'd uh, tell a little white lie for me. Well, to Jane, as a matter of fact, I'd like you to back me up in a slight, uh, shall we say, fabrication. You see... I think she'll telephone you this morning and ask you if it's really true that we lost some money together in a mine in Canada. I'd like you to say yes, that we did. I told her I lost $2,500. Jerry didn't want to, but he backed me up. Jane did phone him that very day. Neither of us mentioned it again, but I knew she was ashamed of her suspicions. We forgot about the whole thing, and in a couple of days, we're back to our old relationship. Warm, loving, wonderful. I kept paying John Dunn small amounts for about a year. A hundred dollars here, fifty there, nothing Jane would notice. Then one day he came into my office, this mean, crafty-minded little clerk with ink and nicotine on his fingers. He waited until everybody else had gone. Then he walked right into my private office without even knocking. What do you want, John? I'm afraid we have to have another little chat. We do. Yes, we do. I have to have $1,000 by the end of the week. I've told you not to speak to me in the office. You get privileges now that make other employees suspicious. Mr. Lane, I think that's only fair. You promised me you'd confine your demands to reasonable amounts. After all, I gave you my entire commission when it's back a contract. But this is an unexpected expense. Well, avoid it. But I can't avoid it. Look, John, let's face the facts. I can only pay you so much, five or six hundred a year, I can afford. I can't ever pay you a thousand dollars in a lump sum. The tobacco money was different. I'm afraid the answer is no. 
Then you'd better change your mind. I need a thousand dollars by next Friday night. Did it ever occur to you that you're in this as much as I am? It did, but I have a way out. If Mr. Harrison asks me, I've got a perfect answer. This is a very dangerous accusation, Mr. Harrison, but I'm afraid we fired the wrong man. Brader didn't steal that money. Mr. Lane did. It's taken me a long time to prove it. I always suspected Brader was innocent. I, I've been poring over the books for months. And this morning, this morning, I'll say I found it. I don't try to pin me with any accessory or accomplice rap. I know what I'm doing, Mr. Lane. Believe me, I know what I'm doing. I can't possibly pay you a thousand dollars. Bradley Lane, the treasurer of Harrison Winfield Incorporated, found guilty of embezzlement. Won't people be shocked? But you can't get blood out of a stone. I've just bought a house. I, I, I've got a lot of expense. I bought another car. There's nothing the matter with the car you've got. I promised Jane a car of her own for her birthday. Then you'd better break your promise. But what'll I say to her? She's ordered it. I've paid her deposit. Use the installment plan. But she'd know. She'd find out. A letter. Why don't you tell her that you let an innocent man be fired? Let an innocent man be blamed for money you stole from this Shut girl. up! Why don't you? If she knew where the money was going, if she knew you were paying it to keep out of jail... Now, look, Mr. Lane... I'll be out to your house next Thursday night at half past nine. You have a thousand dollars in small bills for me, or on Friday morning you'll wish you'd never been born. The week dragged by. I couldn't work, I couldn't sleep. Then on the Wednesday, I got the idea at the level crossing. It suddenly all fitted together in my brain. As luck would have it, not that there is any such thing, Jane had an engagement on the Thursday. I'd be alone in the house with the maid. It was perfect. I just had to make sure of every detail. All day Thursday, I was shaking and nervous. Then when Jane left for her club meeting, I went into action. I rehearsed it step by step. This had to be perfect. Not a single loophole. I rehearsed it for the last time just before John Dunn arrived. If he's catching the 10 o'clock, he'll have to leave here at 9.50. It takes 10 minutes to walk to the station. So I'll set the clock ahead 10 minutes. Ahead 10 minutes. He'll really be leaving at 9.40. And that's it. When the clock says 10 to 10, it'll really be only 20 to 10. Now the hammer. Must be here somewhere. Here it is. Hammer in my overcoat pocket. That's it. Now, that's the clock, the hammer. Now the liquor. There's about eight ounces of liquor, so say three tablets. One, two, three. Shake it. There we are. The clock, the hammer in my overcoat, the liquor, glasses I've got. We'll go out the study door and walk down the path of the crossing. I'll kill him. Put him across the tracks. Get back here. Mr. Dunn to see you, Mr. Lane. Well, John, it's a shame to bring you way out here just to talk business for ten minutes. I'm glad to come, Mr. Lane. Is there anything you want, Mr. Lane? No, nothing, Alice, thank you. Uh, shut the door, will you? Yes, Mr. Lane. Well, 
Now that you're here, we might as well be sociable. You want a drink? All right. This is the last of some very good scotch. What do you want, water or soda? Uh, soda. Right. Here you are. Aren't you having one? I most certainly am. Well, what's the matter? Are you afraid I'll poison you? I think you'd like to. No, I've decided to... Well, here's to you. Cheers. You've decided to what? I've decided not to pay you. I don't think that's wise at all. I look at it this way. I'll go in tomorrow morning and confess to Mr. Harrison that I stole money from the firm five years ago. I'll tell him that I'm selling this house, that I'll pay it back. I'm quite sure he won't prosecute me. That sort of scandal isn't very nice for investment houses. The worst he can do is fire me. Ah, oh, no more scotch like this. No more Connecticut home. No more country club. Doesn't it seem a shame? I've made up my mind. You're really serious? Yes, I am. You're not going to give me the thousand tonight? I'm not going to give you any more, ever. Oh, then I might as well be going. I suppose you had. Isn't there a train back at ten o'clock? That's right. You've time for another drink. It's only ten minutes from here to the station. You're sure this is absolutely final? Quite final. Well, I may as well be going. I'll walk to the station with you. All right, if you want to. Um, let's go out this door here. Hmm? Yeah, all right. Oh, why, the overcoat is not that cold. Well, sometimes there's a chill in the air up here. You ready? Go ahead. Oh, thanks. There's a step there from the patio to the ground. Yeah, I have it. Look here, Mr. Lane. Supposing I made it 500, would that... No, John, I'm finished. I've decided quite calmly to face it. And this is where I come into the story. Who am I? That doesn't matter. John Dunn, Bradley Lane are quite oblivious to me. They pay no attention to the chill beauty of the October night. Bradley Lane's hand is hard on the handle of the hammer in his overcoat pocket. He is looking at John Dunn's felt hat, estimating where and how hard he should hit. There will be very little blood, and it will take only a moment to lay the unconscious body of John Dunn across the tracks at the crossing. I think you're making a great mistake, Mr. Lane. I'm perfectly willing to moderate my demands. No, John. I'm finished. <laughs> What's the matter? I, I don't know. I, I feel a little dizzy. Dizzy? Uh, it's nothing. I'm all right. I shouldn't have had that drink on an empty stomach, I guess. Well, I guess this is as good a place as any. Stop a minute, will you, John? Why? What do you want? Mr. Lane... Mr. Lane! Oh, you blackmail me, would you, you dirty, cheap little rat! Let me go! I'll find you on the crossing, cut the ribbons! Oh, please, that name of heaven, Mr. Lane! I'm going to kill you! I am! I am! I... Oh, don't get away from me! Go home! Go home! Go anywhere but get away from me!
see, he couldn't do it. He lost his nerve. At the last moment, Bradley Lane lost his nerve. He turned around and ran for his house, just as fast as his legs would carry him. John Dunn stands there swaying. He knows he's been very, very lucky. The relief makes him a little unsteady on his feet. When he finally reaches the level crossing, he stubs his toe on the rail and falls. When he falls, he hits his head on the opposite rail. He lies there, alive, but unconscious. His hat falls from his head and rolls, and a gust of wind catches it and blows it back across the track in the direction of Bradley Lane's house. It catches on a stump and stays still. In the meantime, Bradley Lane is almost home. He suddenly knows a great peace. He is not a murderer. He rings the bell of his front door, almost sobbing with relief. Oh, it must have been crazy. I must have been crazy to even thought I could kill him. I must have been crazy. Mr. Lane. Hello, Alice. I forgot my keys. Why, Mr. Lane, I didn't even hear you go out. I walked Mr. Dunn to the station. I'm sorry to disturb you. Well, that's all right, Mr. Lane. Mrs. Lane just came in. She's upstairs. Thank you. Anything else, Mr. Lane? Uh, nothing, thanks. I'm going to bed. Uh, by the way, the clock in my den is ten minutes fast. Set it, will you? Yes, Mr. Lane. Must have been crazy. Crazy. Hello, darling. I just uh, got in. Uh, oh, Brad, what is it? You look so strange. Oh, strange. Jane, I've got to tell you oh, something. Well, please don't say anything or interrupt me because... Brad, you're crying. No, oh, not now. About an hour ago, I... I was going to... Jane, I don't know where to start. Darling, what is it? Now, sit down here on the bed. Now, what is it? You're shaking. Brad, what's happened to you? What's wrong? I almost murdered John Dunn tonight. Yes. I was going to kill him. And then... Then I didn't. Darling, I've never seen you so upset. What are you trying to say? Brad, what is it? Jane, when we were married, there, there were so many expenses I couldn't meet that I... That I stole some money. Brad! From the firm. Four thousand dollars. Brad, surely you're not serious. You don't mean... Of course I mean it. Do I look like I'm joking? I, I stole four thousand dollars of the firm's money and I let old man Brader take the blame. They fired him. Oh, no, this isn't happening. John Dunn found out. He never believed Brader was guilty. And he kept poring over the books until he finally found the proof he needed. It took him a long time to get the evidence, but he got it. Ever since then, I've been paying him off. Oh. A week ago, he asked for a thousand, said he needed it. I made up my mind to kill him. I put some of my sleeping tablets into the whiskey. Brad, darling, please don't. Now, let me tell it. You might as well hear everything. I had it all planned. I doped the whiskey. Oh, no. It didn't affect me because I've had to take stuff to put me to sleep ever since this thing started. Then I took him out the side door. First, I moved the clock in the day in ten minutes. Then we started out to walk to the station. I was going to hit him on the head, oh, no. lay his body across the railway tracks, and be home here by the time the train went past. Then I was going to call Alice and make some remark about how I hoped Mr. Dunn took the right train, maybe ask her for coffee, and that would be my alibi. That I was home when the train hit it. That train was supposed to be running over him right now. 
But I lost my nerve, Jane. I had the hammer in my hand all ready to do it, and I... Then I couldn't. I couldn't do it. Oh, my poor darling, what you said. I ran home. I threw the hammer into the bushes and ran home. I'm going in tomorrow and tell Mr. Harrison the whole story. We'll pay back the money. I'm sure he won't prosecute me. I'll, I'll just resign. Yes. Oh, Jane, darling, I've been crazy. I've been dishonest and weak and crazy, but I did it because I love you. Toast, Brad? I can't eat. Oh, Brad, it's all right. We've got our health. We've got each other. You made a mistake, that's all. Lots of people make mistakes. I let Brader take the blame. You can make it up to him. Then I'll him back. You can clear him. Brad, this is a new leaf. You know, I'm glad it happened. Glad? Well, I knew the money was going somewhere. I thought you were... Well... Keeping some money. Oh, I didn't know what to think. No, I don't suppose I ever really imagined you were doing anything like that, but since we've been well off, it's it's been it's been different somehow. Oh, Brad, I'll help you. I will. Mr. Lane. Oh, Mr. Lane, the most terrible thing. They just found Mr. Dunn. What? Help. The train ran over him last night at the level crossing, cut him right clean in half. <laughs> may proceed with the witness. Thank you, Your Honor. Dr. Southford, I understand you prescribed sleeping tablets for Mr. Lane. That is right. The autopsy on the deceased was difficult. The coroner, however, has established the fact medically that there were traces of the drug in the deceased's stomach. Why did the drug make the deceased groggy, as Mr. Lane suggests, yet seem to have no effect on Mr. Lane himself? Because Mr. Lane's system had built up a tolerance for the drug. He was used to it because he took it every night? That is right. How long have you been a maid to Mr. and Mrs. Lane? Three years. Have you ever seen Mr. Lane tamper with the clocks before? No, sir. What exactly did he ask you to do to the clock in the den? He told me it was fast and to set it back ten minutes. Huh. Do you recognize this hammer? Yes, sir. Belonged to Mr. Lane. Where did he keep it? In the drawer of the desk in his den. Thank you. Mr. Lane, what time did Mr. Dunn arrive at your home on the night in question? About 9.30. But you had set the clock ahead ten minutes? Yes. So that it was really closer to 9.20? Yes. And what time did he leave? Ten to ten. By the same reasoning, actually twenty to ten? Yes. And you left by the study door instead of the front door? Yes. Why? Because I... You know why I was going to kill him. Yes, Mr. Lane, I know. I thought the jury should hear it again. You walked along the road to the crossing and you took the hammer out of your pocket. Yes. And I am to understand that this sudden, uh, 
I believe you called it change came upon you at the exact moment you had the hammer raised to strike Mr. Dunn on the head. Yes. Then you threw the hammer away. Yes. After you'd had your change of heart. Yes. Since you had nothing to conceal, why did you throw the hammer away? I've told you it made me sick. It made you sick? Yes. The defense has made much of the fact that you made no attempt to sneak into the house. Instead, you rang a front doorbell. Why did you do that? I had forgotten my keys. I see. So that even if you wanted to, you couldn't have opened the study door. No. It was necessity then, rather than change of heart, that made you ring the front doorbell. I, I didn't care then. I'd done nothing. I had nothing to conceal. So Yet I... you threw the hammer away. I told Mr. you. Mr. Lane, please, I realize that you have a very sensitive disposition. Now, please don't get upset. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, this fantastic story of Bradley Lane's is ridiculous. He has admitted being a thief. Being blackmailed, hating John Dunn, drugging his whiskey, planning his murder, going with him to the crossing, and we found the deceased hat on the south side of the crossing. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, there is only one possible verdict. Something will happen. There's still time for the reprieve to come. Oh, darling, please don't cry. Brad, but you didn't do it. You didn't do it. It's all circumstantial. Please, darling, don't cry. I'll get the reprieve. I'm sure they won't... They won't do it. I... They're coming. They're coming! Please, darling. But he's innocent, I tell you. You can't do it! You can't! Innocent people never get electrocuted for murders they didn't commit! Innocent people do, sometimes. Bradley Lane did. You see, there is a rule in life which governs motives as well as acts. There is also a verse in the Bible which states, As a man soweth, so shall he also reap. And, oh, who am I? Oh, yes, I am luck. just heard Level Crossing, Attraction 50 on Radio City Playhouse, as written, directed, and produced by Harry W. Junkin. Bradley Lane was David Gothard. Jane was Kathleen Cordell. Other players included James Monks, Charles Penman, Connie Lemke, and Ralph Bell. The script was based on a short story by F. Wills Crofts, and the music was composed and conducted by Dr. Roy Shields.
Next week on Radio City Playhouse, Jan Miner and Arnold Moss in a profoundly moving story called Blackout. We hope you'll join us. Coming up on 8 by request as item 7, the exciting new Swedish actress Marta Torren in Soundless, one of the most successful shows ever presented on Radio City Playhouse. That's item 7 this Thursday on 8 by request. Good night, everybody. Fred Collins speaking. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company.